JJ's name and uh, and then I just hit start the recording, so it's never too late. To start. <laughs> it's never too late. Definitely do not do that. No, I but I did hit start record, and then Matt uh, was talking crazy. I know, but luckily, and then Joel said what he said about that racial or ethnic group. I don't remember, and then we started the podcast. Right, he caught me then. I'm just kidding, folks. Joel actually he doesn't make any really sort of crazy jokes at all, but I love to accuse him. I love it. Yeah. Well, the, the problem is that you know it's going to get a reaction out of me, and I know that, and yes. I still can't help myself. And you can't help it. Yes. I know. It's like a. It's like being a. Like you're in the water and you start bleeding a little bit, and then the sharks just come. You know, like as soon as they smell blood, they just they hunt you down. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, if I would just own it, you would just like get bored. But you know. Yeah. Whatever. You you never let it get bored. You never let it get old. So I'm, I guess it'll keep that'll keep being the joke. Anyway, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. We're here to talk about shooting in addition to whatever spicy stuff Joel brings up. Uh, on deck tonight, Mr. Park. Hello. Mr. Kim. Hello. My Korean brother. Yes, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Matt Frank is also here. Hello. Live from who the fuck knows. Perfect. Well, everybody's here. All right. Well, Kim has to talk about Area 4. Mm -hmm. Joel's going to do some uh, preachy, helpful stuff, which will be fine, as long as we keep that brief. And then Matt's going to talk about some stuff. It should be a, a bang-up podcast, mm -hmm. as you guys might say. So let's lead off. Mr. Kim, tell us about yes. Area 4, your latest adventure. Yes, I just came back from the match. Uh, I've shot a couple Area 4s, I think, uh, by now, probably around four times. Uh, so it's back in Oklahoma. Uh, I shot once over there, 2017 uh, Area 4 there. Uh, this time, it was a little bit different. Uh, in terms of stages, uh, there was something I liked a lot, which was uh, the the large, medium, short courses. Kind of like I, what IPSC is doing. I don't think the ratio was about the uh, same. I think they definitely had more like a one large, one medium, one small, some, something like that. Yeah. So uh, in terms of round count, that was pretty interesting. So some like 28 to 32, some are somewhere around 20, some are somewhere around like 10, 12, something like that. Uh, so in terms of executing that, I think they uh, organized the bays correctly. So like one bay, there's two short course, one bay, there's like one large, etc. They uh, pretty use, use their geographic size pretty well too that range if you've been to uh it's pretty large range it's uh u.s shooting academy so there yeah, were i mean they didn't even use all the base did they no not, yeah, no yeah i wouldn't think they didn't not. use them all mm -hmm. definitely they had more rooms to do more they had 13 stages and definitely some large course had very far shots i think i heard up to like 35 yard shots something like that 30 to 35 so I was glad to see some far shots because nowadays it's not common to see far shots anymore. No, that's uh, true. Yes. And there was a no shoot target that was like half uh, covering, which was, yeah, definitely you can make the shot. Mechanical accuracy should be somewhere around like at least four four inches at 25 yards. That's common mechanical accuracy. So I don't think there was anything unreasonably difficult, but difficult enough to challenge, yeah, to, you you know, challenge your trigger control skill. Some stages were very fast. Uh, but one thing I wanted to see is actually variety of stages, meaning large courses looked about similar. 
Medium courses looked about similar. Small courses looked about similar. So all the small courses were pretty hosey. Uh, all large courses were about five positions, and that was about it. But in IPSC, even if it's like three plus uh, three, two, one system, meaning like one large, two medium, etc., they kind of do different style stages for especially short courses. Some short courses, uh, if if the listeners shot Wisconsin match, that's a good um, example. So there were a couple of short courses where one short courses, you have opportunity to shoot on the move on multiple targets. One short courses, one short course is like one box. So you should swing at distance, things like that. So definitely one small course and the other small course didn't look the same at that match or typical IPSC match. But in this match, uh, large courses look about the same. Feels like copy paste, copy paste of similar type shooting. Small courses, very hosey stage. So that's something that I would like to see a little bit more variety of. But I think they generally did a very good job of challenging some uh, shooting stuff. Definitely, there was many shooting speed change. So, like, couple stages had target right in front of you, and target kind of far, target kind of in the middle. So you can kind of choose if you're gonna go left to right or right to left on that same stage starting position. You you could draw on a two three yard target, or you could draw on a 15, 20 yard open target, or mini popper starting. So you can kind of choose your preference because. Some people um, like shooting far to near or near to far. So in that kind of case, I think that option was pretty good idea. Uh, one thing that was not as interesting, though, was a uh, ton of partials. Uh, I think the heat factor, uh, there was only one stage that was lingering around five and everything else was above like seven, eight, nine-ish. And I think the the trend now on should be using different things to lower the hit factor. I, I mean, again, Wisconsin sectional match, an interesting way to lower the hit factor without using ton of partials. Uh, but in general, I think the execution of the match was very nice. Uh, I didn't see a whole lot of traffic jam, so to say. So the match was done, the day one was done by like three o'clock. Uh, that was 10 stages. So I think the flow was pretty good. And I heard a lot of people having good experiences out of the match, uh, me as well. So I thought that was a pretty good match to shoot. Yeah, and there's only nice. a couple area matches that I don't recommend, but area four, I would I would recommend to people to shoot. Well, uh, Chad Stanton's normally the match director of that match. And if Chad's, I mean, being honest, if Chad's setting up the match, you know it's going to be pretty... Like, it'll be run smoothly. There won't be any major issues. Nothing dumb as far as, like, props. Everything will be very reasonable. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of know what you're getting into if you go to that. So, I mean, I, I like Chad's matches. Yeah, I think he puts out a pretty good match, uh, especially as an area of championship, because it doesn't mean you're a good direct match director. I think some match directors don't do very well on an area championship where it's determining the champions. So I think this was a good match to determine. All right. Cool. Thank you, Mr. Kim, for that amazing report. Mr. Park, I think you wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about useful and practical advice. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be too preachy, but 
I want to kind of talk about like wanting for nothing when you turn up to matches. Uh, it never fails. Almost every match I go to, someone needs something. They forgot something. They ran out of something. Something broke. Uh, I'm happy to be the guy uh, loaning out my extras because I'm just glad I'm not the person, you know, scrambling around needing sunscreen or, you know, out of my gun doesn't have a front sight or whatever. So obviously it's different if you fly or drive. Um, but I just try to set myself up to want for nothing. I try to plan ahead for stuff I think I might possibly need. And especially if I'm driving, just throw that extra crap in your trunk. You don't have to like carry a screwdriver set around with you all day, but you should have extra batteries if you're, if you have a, you know, an, an electronic sided handgun, you should have, you know, check and make sure your holster's tight. Uh, uh, there was one match where a person was like kind of looking at their holster and kind of messing around. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I just found out I'm missing two screws from my holster. And I'm like, oh boy, okay. <laughs> like I, I got a screwdriver here. We'll see if we can get this fixed. So, I mean, just. But that was at a class, wasn't it? Yeah. That was at a class. And, I was just looking at class. Like, damn, I think this dude's fucked, but you sorted him out. Yeah, yeah, but he, yeah, he discovered at the class he was. That's because you drove there, so you had all your stuff in your car. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, just uh, you know, extra snacks, extra water, more than you need, extra towels, sunscreen. The day gets miserable if you don't have the stuff you need. So just think about planning ahead. Yeah. You think you see you see more people that don't do any planning. Like, well, some like, people I think just wing it, or I don't think they, uh, maybe they don't uh, think ahead to what could possibly happen. They always look for best case. Like, oh, I think we'll be out of here by two o'clock. The next thing you know, it's four o'clock and they're out of water. They don't have enough sunscreen. It's, it's, uh, it's muddy. And they're like, they're dropping their mags in sand or mud. Like, oh, I wish I had a towel to wipe off my mags, you know, or yes. like, oh, a mag, a mag brush. Like, Brain's I, I'm, a big problem. Like keeping a poncho in your, in your uh, range bag is always a good idea. Yeah, I keep two yeah. of them. One for my range bag and one for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think it's it's more it's more, I can kind of see that more when someone's just going to a like range day or a club match, but when people travel um you know, extended distance, you've got either mileage, you know, fuel in your car or an airline ticket or something like that. Like you're putting a lot of resources into a match or just doesn't even have to be in a match you're going somewhere i know plenty of times i come up to train you know with ben it's like you want to bring everything like i'm i'm willing to pack an entire extra bag to pay the 60 bucks to the airlines to to fly that so you don't run out i think that's a good mentality but i don't, I don't think that's shared by a lot of people in the USPSA world no or even just the awareness of what could possibly happen there's a chance we could get rain like, well let me oh, give yeah. people some practical advice some really good advice if you're a person like me you want to be friends with a person like Joel now listen you're not <laughs> going to be responsible you're not going to look after your own shit <laughs> that's fine you need to be friends with someone like Joel and all you have to listen to them fucking this self-satisfied bullshit when they produce the thing you need. You're going to have to enjoy some of that. But it's going to be worth it. Okay? It so make I've, friends with the troll. Hey, Joe brings some pretty good extra match ammo, too. It's very nice. Well, that oh, stuff very nice? If Joel hands you something, it's quality. If it's an apple slice, it's going to be nice. <laughs> it'll be the best apple you've ever had. It'll, it'll be nice. It's going to be freshly cut that morning, I'm sure. 
<laughs> this is probably it's ammunition will be loaded properly, right? Yep. That's just the way. That's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. All right. Thank you, Joel. Helpful and practical advice with even better advice for me, honestly. Uh, Matt, you got to tell us about uh, well your training. You tried some new stuff in training when you you stayed after the section match, so I'm sure people yep. talked about it. Yep, had a had a great time up there shooting with you and uh, Wanzik. Half a you day. Had a fun was time at the match. I hope. I don't think you had that much fun during the match, honestly. But after the match was fun. No, I actually did have a very fun time at the match. I wasn't shooting as well as I would have liked, but I mean, I think that that match did everything it was designed to do to me. So <laughs> it was perfect. Like I learned, I learned a lot, man. I learned a ton and, you know, shooting a new division. Plus I'm not going to lie. Like I kind of felt like there was a ton of heat and carry optics for a section match. Tons there. I don't know how many M's and GM's there were, but there was a, a shit. Lot. No, but I had a, I had a great time shooting it. You know, I was just trying to stay really engaged and, um, shoot better as the stages progress but whatever now the, the last uh couple days i stayed there with you and we trained we, we got to train uh kind of did something i've done it before you know especially with rifles uh, covering the front of the red dot uh didn't realize i think i posted a, a couple pictures yes on, mm -hmm. on the internet about it and uh didn't realize how much of a contentious debate or something or whatever the fuck it was for the internet. Um, dude, it, it paid dividends, right? A lot of, a lot of things that I talk about with my own shooting, talk to Josh about, talk with you plenty about yeah. the visual control. And a lot of people think that they're doing something visually, especially shooting optics guns. Specifically, I'm talking about, carry optics guns but i'm sure open shooters are the same way you're just not in the same not in the level of visual control that you think you are right so what you're saying is um well I, let, let me put it this way I'll, i tell people a lot of times when they when they have this realization like you're talking about i'll say there's two types of people there's those that think they always are target focused you know when they're shooting a dot they're always target focused yeah. and they're wrong right and then there yeah. are those that see that there are some times where their eyes are getting sucked back onto the dot. And like yeah. that second group of people is going to be annoyed sometimes, but at least they understand what's really happening. Yep. And I think that as, as the shooting performance increases, right, your foundational skills, you're getting better and better at shooting. The tendency for you to come back inside the dot becomes much more realistic. As the gun is behaving more erratically, you're shooting much faster. The tendency to stare at that dot because it's giving you so much feedback becomes a real thing. So what, what I ended up doing, um, you know, based off of talking with you and looking at how you were shooting, right? We, uh, so for two days, I pretty much taped the front side of my dot. And, and I've done that in the past, you know, with rifles. You, you start to, uh, for me, it's like, I kind of describe it as like, it's a, it's a visual irritation that you have to learn how it feels like, right? So 
with a rifle and a carry optic stops the same way. Your left eye should look through the tube or your non-dominant eye looks through the tube and then your dominant eye looks around the tube at the target and the focal convergence is on the target with a very tight um, point of aim or reference point on the target that you pick. So if you take the front of your dot and all you see is black or brown, depending on the color of tape, I mean, check it out, stud. You're, you're not target focused. You're staring at the dot. Both of your eyes are in that dot. And I think that's where most shooters live. And I think that even, you know, some very remarkable top level guys are like, don't understand or they call it point shooting or whatever no you're focusing on your fucking dot and your your fundamentals are what's getting you by but you see that you know really quickly switching over to rifles right you saw that with the rifle game ben didn't you oh yeah oh yeah like you want to like you want to start chasing that dot visually when the right thing to do is like just to keep looking right where you want to drive the bullets. And it's like the dot just floats right back to that spot. Like right. espe especially at distance, it, it helps even more to be target focused because you're returning the gun for follow on shots with a lot of precision. It does. It's hard to see in a pistol, but you know, everything, all the feedback that you get from the dot. And if the dot is behaving erratically, it all translates to visual cues in your brain that you are going to put input into the gun to help it arrive back to the desired point of aim. And those are all little micro or major inputs. It happens in what happens above your waist. It happens below your waist. And I'll tell you what, for two days of shooting, it was, it really wasn't that big of a heavy of a lift to get used to shooting with the dot covered. And what I took away from it was, a very disciplined look at being target focused. Yeah. Uh, one of my guns has had the reticle taped for months and I've just left it like that because every time I'm, if I'm teaching or working with it or whatever, like it doesn't bother me to have the reticle taped. Like I don't care. So um, when other people see that, usually it's a, it's like a conversation starter. It'll get them to do it, you know, and then they uh, kind of see what see what's going on, and it's been it's been good. Like that, yeah. The gun I shot with you you guys for days, like that's the yeah. gun. Like I just have left the tape. I just haven't fucked around with it. If you're if you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing visually with shooting a optic gun, yes, tape on the front of the optic doesn't matter. I, I agree. Mm -hmm. It just it it just doesn't, and I'll argue that point all day with anybody like it just doesn't if it if it's a if it's a if it's the linchpin that is the biggest hole in your game and you're going to rely on your your reputation or your name or whatever to say that it's it's something other than what it is you're fucking wrong you're 100 percent wrong and we all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I want to say his name so fucking bad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Holy crap. <laughs> okay. Full send, uh, Matt. I want to share Matt one thing. <laughs> so this is actually something I, I learned uh, using the, the non-dominant eye correctly, uh, b even before we shot carry optics. So in my case, 
uh, I was born with a very bad eyesight. So my right eye prescription, when I shot production with the iron sight, my right eye was more of a reading prescription, so I couldn't see the target at all. But I can see the front side, so prescription. And the left one was just regular prescription, so I can see the target. So I kind of went through a process. It took me two months to make it super comfortable to be able to see the target with the left eye and then just have the right eye kind of not see the target, but just see the front side. So it kind of naturally translated when I'm shooting carry optics. So this is something if you are shooting uh, iron sight and you have reading prescription, so you can't see the target on the right eye and the left eye can see the target clear, then I think this is something that you may have naturally developed. Uh, but if yeah. somebody has good vision, <laughs> it's likely that's what you said, like the visual conversion and actually shooting not really target focus, especially with the left eye. Yeah, like when I used yeah. to, like years ago when I shot sight focused at at difficult shots i never really understood how bad it was fucking me on the follow-on shots you know what i mean yeah. like you line up you line up the gun and then you switch your focus to the front sight and boom you break that shot you feel really good about that one but then it's always a battle like returning the front sight to the same spot or shooting like a plate rack at 20 yards um when you're sight focused uh it's very difficult to pick a precise spot on the plates. You pretty much just transition into a white blob. Mm -hmm. Like I never was really very good at dealing with that stuff until I was target focused all the time with irons. Yeah. And like I, I so, want I, I've won a few nationals doing shit that I don't do anymore. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, think, I don't, I, I don't, I honestly don't think it's a, uh, as much of a physiological issue with people as much it's psychological, as it's, for sure. it, it's a it's a psychological there there is a confidence element to to shooting like target fo focused sighted fire with irons and but it's the way that people are always taught to shoot from day one right the hard yes. front sight focus and and just by the what they're always told and what's beaten into them you're trained to look at the sights one way right and the dominant eye if given the ability for it to be your dominant eye, it's going to take over everything and taping the dot, like, like what you were just saying, like kind of what you learned with irons, I would say kind of the hard way yes. is <laughs> you're training, you're training the non-dominant eye. Right. And I, I think for a lot of guys that initially start struggling with the dot for a number of reasons, not picking the dot up on the gun handling side or whatever, You've got to go back to irons to fix it because all the dots doing is showing you holes in your game that you've kind of bred into your system or your shooting ability with shooting iron sights. Yeah. I agree. Uh, to, to use one of Ben's saying, Ben always, I, I just like it. So I use, I say it the same way Ben does. You hit where you look for better or worse. And if you're looking at the, the front sight, whether it's iron sights or the dot, like you're going to hit where you're looking. And if you're watching the front sight, you probably should be looking at the target where you want the bullets to go. So like what Ben said, returning the gun for follow-up shots or like you see somebody like really close targets, they just whip the gun out and they're just like smashing all these really close targets. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, no, anyway, just looking looking where you want the bullets to go is super important. And you'll never yeah, be able agree. to shoot like you can't shoot at warp speed 
if you're watching your front sight. You're always going to be behind the curve. No. And and honestly, man, I think like for newer shooters or the sooner you start getting onto this visual piece and learning how to train your eyes and shooting target focus, regardless of irons or, or dot, like you're going to be successful in, in the long run doing that. Yes. And that's how the hand-eye coordination is done. You got to look to a spot and bring the object to that rather than yep. looking at the object and then try to bring it to the spot. You're not visually guiding in that sense. But yeah, that vision is huge. For so like if you're trying to do a mag change, Kim, and you look down mm-hmm. at the magazine and then you're like, I'll just watch this magazine while I go like slam this in the gun in one second. It's probably not going to work out for you very well, right? Exactly. But if you looked at the mag well, the magazine will just show up where you're looking. Yes, visual guidance. Yes. Yeah. That's why they named those things you aim with on guns sights. It's <laughs> <laughs> a smart one, that Matt. <laughs> the secret's in the name. All right, uh, Joel. Any other observations from uh, training after the match? You were there for a day. You must have something fun. I was. Um, I don't know. Um, uh, it's always fun seeing how I stack up compared to everybody else. So that was probably my uh, probably my favorite part. And then also, like when we were all in stage one, Professor was getting ready to break the stage. And so <laughs> then Professor has a different plan. I'm like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. Maybe I want to try that. And so it was yes. kind of fun when there was no consequences about, you know, you don't have to have your match run, your on-demand rap match run, but just seeing where we could round corners, what plan was faster or slower. That that stuff's yeah. fun. I'm a nerd. I like that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think we were curious. It was interesting how many different ways there were to shoot that. Well, that and a few other stages. Like, it was very interesting, mm-hmm. like, how many different plans we could come up with on a couple of those. It was you know, similar. On one, is it fair to say they were all pretty pretty much a wash? I mean, maybe one was yeah, a little bit better. I don't think it really affected the times a whole lot. It was just what, whatever you liked. But you might find one plan flows better or plays your strengths better. Yeah, or it's easier for you to remember or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, very interesting. Well, all right, guys. I think it, I think it was a bang-up podcast, as promised. I always like mm-hmm. it when there's a little bit of fireworks. So uh, thank you, gentlemen, for coming on. Listeners, if you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to bensticker.com. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you.